0: that uh, we have a guest speaker today, and not just any guest speaker. I I am so excited on behalf of the elders to introduce to you our candidate for the associate pastor position of this church. Michael is a former student of mine, and I didn't scar him too much, I hope. Um, But having had nearly 6,000 students, I will tell you Michael is definitely in my He's first choice when it came to who would you hire as an associate pastor? I said, Oh, that's easy. It's Michael Venter. The difficult part is he's serving as a missionary right now. <laughs> so unless God uses a two by four, uh I, I'm not sure that's gonna happen. Well, the Lord does have two by fours. And so Michael, if you'd come, I've asked Michael just to share briefly his testimony and a little bit of his story as how God has been using he and his family. As a congregation, we will vote in April. There we go, uh, speakers. Uh, we'll, we'll, um, <clears throat> we'll vote in April on whether or not to uh, hire him as our pastor, associate pastor. But uh, this is opportunity for you to get to know him. And then in several weeks, I would encourage you... Grab a cup of coffee, uh, grab this family out for it, take them out for dinner, get to know them. Uh, I am thrilled to introduce to you Michael Venters. (laughs) Good morning, thank you.
1: (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) He's probably making up the numbers about the 6,000 students. He probably had three. And... (laughs) The other two are dead, so <laughs> uh, so he didn't have too many options. But. Um, so uh, t- today is going to be a, a little bit different. So uh, if, if you're visiting us or if you're visiting CBF, and I'm saying yes because I'm talking about the body of Christ, so if you're visiting today, you, you just um, this is a atypical uh, Sunday morning. Okay, so don't, don't judge the, the, the church based on, on what you see up here now, okay? Uh, So, uh, I grew up, I'm going to give you a little bit of my testimony, and I guess the flag is pretty important in there. So, I grew up in southern Brazil. Uh, I'm not a missionary kid, I'm not a pastor's kid, I'm I'm a first generation believer. Um, I grew up in the beautiful country of Brazil. Somebody has asked me, what in the world made you move up here? And maybe God has two by fours, and I think his two by fours are really heavy. So. so I grew up in southern Brazil, uh, I didn't grow up go- going to church, uh, that was not part of my life. Uh, I didn't experience any, any Christian walk or anything like that. And um, it's interesting for me as I look back in my own life that um, for a guy who grew up in southern Brazil, who grew up in the largest Catholic nation in the world, and now Brazil has also just become the largest Pentecostal nation in the world, uh, I didn't hear the name Jesus Christ being proclaimed as a means of salvation until at the age of 18. And it was through an American missionary, it was not through a Brazilian. So, I think, I have some pictures I want to show you just really quickly, I don't know if you can see it, is it coming up? Alright, so I grew up in the southernmost state of Brazil, uh, almost at the border between Brazil and Uruguay, a few hours away from Argentina. Um, next one, guys, I grew up in the city of Novumburgo, which is the red dot in there. It doesn't make any difference for you, but if you know any German, uh, a lot of Germans, when they came down to South Brazil, they actually began to name the cities after the cities they came from. So they, some of the Germans that came to Brazil came from Hamburg, Germany, and so they went to Brazil and they created the new Hamburg, or the Novo Hamburgo, where I grew up. A few years after that, after I came to know the Lord, uh, my wife and I, which I'm going to put in a spot right now, would you please stand up? So... Uh, if if you like how things go today you tell her how great of a job I did if you don't like it you come talk to me okay so we moved to the capital of the state as missionaries we planted a church in there called Hope Baptist Church Um, in the capital uh, about one and a half million people in there the whole region about five million people so very populated very dense Uh, a very hard people group to reach and then uh, in 2017 we moved to the little more to the center of the state Um, to a place called Santa Cruz do Sioux, so south of Santa Cruz, that's pretty much what it is. It's a very heavily populated city when it comes to Germans. Uh, They have the second largest Oktoberfest, and I don't recommend you going there during October, but because everybody knows the city is going to smell like beer. And so it's very, very German, very Catholic, very Lutheran, and my wife and I had the privilege to be there for the last three years, And uh, our goal was to plant a church in there, Um, but God had some different goals and so we opened a place called Pat's Place that comes from Psalm 23, that the Lord's going to prepare a place or a table, actually prepare a table, Pat. I know it's not before our enemies, it's out of context in there, but we wanted people to come to the community and be able to live life together and be able to understand that we were there to be a light because most of the ministries that we we do in Brazil are actually done across the table from somebody. So we decided to go and open a community center called Pat's Place. It's still there. We're in the hopes that that's gonna transition into the hands of Brazilians. We're still working through all those details. My wife has been putting uh, full-time work into that right now just to keep that place going. And obviously COVID changed things, how we, we do things in there. But I heard the gospel for the first time when I was 18. And At the age of 21, I came to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior and God began to move very f- rapidly in my own life uh, When I was 22, I came to the US. I went to a place called Word of Life Bible Institute all the way up in New York uh, First time we had snow was literally two feet and uh, I came with shorts and jeans and things like that and I was not prepared for it uh, but God was very good and um, and God began to grow, grow me in 2003, I transferred to Cedarville, I met Dr. in there. Uh, if you take me out for coffee, I have some great stories to tell you. Uh, but I went to Cedarville, and I knew God was leading me back into ministry, and I wanted to be prepared. So I graduated with a pre-sem- pre-seminary Bible major, and in 2007, I went to seminary. Um, God was very good. I met my wife there, she had just transferred from my school where she was doing her pre-med degree and she felt like the Lord was calling her into missions as well. And there's nothing better than to marry a Brazilian when you feel like God's calling you to go into missions. So that's what we did. Uh, We got married in 2009 and uh, in 2011 we went to Brazil and we pretty much been down there for the last 10 years. So that's a little bit of my story. Um, I want you to know a few things before. We get into the better part, okay? Um, which is God's Word. Um, I felt a little bit of pressure this week uh, when Pastor David actually pre- preached last week and then he prayed and he said, God, I, I pray that you come back this week. And I wasn't sure if he was talking about just his expectation of being in heaven <laughs> or for the expectation of what was going to take place here. And my, my glasses keep falling, so I'm sorry. The second one is, as I, as I prep for this, I thought, there is a lot of pressure here, and I think it's unnecessary because I hope that at the end of our time here today, my sermon will be worth more than just either a yay or a nay, which is just two simple words, three letters, and I was like, I hope it's, it, it causes change, but you need to know something from me. When, when I interview with the deacons and the elders, actually, and Pastor David, I told them that I, I, I'm not here to be a professional pastor. Okay. And uh, I don't preach at you. I'm not here. I don't even know you. So if something that God convicts you today, it's because, not because I know of your story. I want you to know that. For me, this is sacred because I, I have made a goal in my own life to preach at myself. And I want this to be true in my life before I can actually force or pass that on to you. So I want you to know, I'm not a professional professional pastor. I'm still learning your language. So there's some things here that you need to know. Uh, So today, as we look at this, which is the most important part of this, I want you to understand that I believe that we are going through some very, very, very difficult time because we have denied maybe the most important thing, which is God's sufficient word. It's not only without error, it is sufficient. And I want us to, to realize that, so let me, let me just open in prayer, and um, let's ask the Lord just to bless this time and just to, to, to give us clarity as we begin to understand what he has for us, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for Jesus, just like we sang this morning. We thank you that he's supreme that he is good and that he is God. And Father, I pray that above everything else that we would value your word as sufficient, not only for changing us and saving us, but also for sustaining us. Father, would you, would you put the difficulties aside, the challenges, would you put my language barriers aside and would you communicate through your word to this church and to this body? And Father, cause change in our lives. I pray that you would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to the book of Galatians. But before we, before we read it, I want to give you a little bit of a background. And today, like I said, is, is unusual, so I'm going, to be, I'm going to be quicker here as I do this. By the time the Apostle Paul actually came to the scene, or became a believer in Acts chapter 9, it is believed that the, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers actually were pretty much the same amount of people. So the transformation that was taking place in the church inside of the Gentile believers was, was so big that the number between them was pretty much similar. But every time you have growth, and those, those of us who have kids understand that growth cause some pain, you have some confusion. And so in Acts chapter 13 and 14, we see that Paul is actually with Barnabas. He's going to this region of Southern Galatians. He's actually ministering ministering to the people. He's planting a church. He's establishing leadership. People are coming to know the Lord. They're getting saved. They're getting ministries uh, going, and they're probably excited about everything else. And then Paul leaves. And when Paul leaves, a group of Judaizers restored Jewish people who probably believed that Jesus was, was, was God, but also believed that they had to keep all the good things from the Old Testament, like circumcision and the Sabbath and the ritual rules that everything else had to come, and they actually began to bring that message inside of the church in Galatia. So now Paul is away, and he listens to this, And as we go to uh, Acts chapter 15, when the Jerusalem Council takes place, which is after Paul writes this letter, the first verse in chapter 15 of of Acts, it says this, and I'll read it to you. This is what they were preaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Which means that in one way, they're undermining the message and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, I know there was a re- prerequisite, not for salvation, but for identification to who God's people actually was, were. But because of that, it caused a pervasive thought that began to invade the church and began to cause a lot of confusion. Because the question became, what is really sufficient here? is the gospel sufficient or do i have to implement some other things to my own life it's not that i'm actually cooking something and i'm putting some extra ingredients in there that i like because god has never asked that from us so when paul writes this letter he's he's literally listen to this he's heartbroken and galatians becomes like probably the the the, the most raw expression Of Paul's concern for a church in the New Testament and I think that message is the message that our churches in this country and in southern Brazil need to listen to because the the confrontation is what is good enough what is sufficient is the gospel sufficient or do I have to add something else to it and Paul is going to deal with this and the reason why I chose that for us is we are in a generation where we don't have a true north. Now, I have something in my house, for those of you who have little kids, you might know this. This is called a magic eraser. <laughs> You're laughing because you know exactly where I'm going with it. This thing is really cool. Okay? It can erase m- most, mostly everything. But there is one thing that it doesn't. This is not capable of erasing sin. So for me to believe that that in which is able to erase sin plus my magical eraser is enough for me to actually achieve salvation is exactly what Paul is so upset and frustrated and concerned about this church. Because this doesn't lead you to salvation. It might wipe some things off but honestly, if you look at really closely, you'll realize the stains are just there. This thing was just able to hide it and not clean it. Now, look with me, Galatians chapter one, verse six through 10. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are following a different gospel. Not that there is, there is uh, another gospel, but there are some of you who are disturbing and wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be condemned to hell. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the the gospel you received, let him be condemned to hell. Verse 10, am I now trying to gain the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, i would not be a slave of jesus now number one you have in your outline i want you to notice with me paul's amazement paul's amazement his amazement is because they're quickly deserting the one who called them to a personal relationship with their savior now amazement is a is a great feeling if it is positive positive. and this is not the case paul is Paul is amazed of how quickly they're actually moving from Jesus to something else. The church grew, the ministries were taking place, and now they're accepting what the Judaizers were bringing in. Now, on the bottom of your paper, there's a quote from John Stott, and I want to read that to you right now. It says this, To temper with the gospel is always to trouble the church. You cannot touch the gospel and leave the church untouched because the church is created and lives by the gospel. Indeed, the church's greatest troublemakers now and then are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. That is why Paul, when he writes this letter, he writes no salutation, there is no thanksgiving, he says, listen, We're gonna go straight to the point, there is no Philippians 1-3, I praise the Lord always in remembrance of you. There's nothing like that. And the best way I can put it is this. We're staying at somebody else's house right now, and we're right in front of a lake, and I thought, what would I do if my eight-year-old or my four-year-old daughter fell inside of the lake? Now, I have two options. The first one is, I can get my phone and call 911. That's a great idea. But by the time they show up, it's not gonna be very good. So Paul, just like a good father would, he's jumping right into this thing. He's like, this is gonna take you to a direction where you were going before that was damaging and now you're going the same direction again. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I'm gonna jump right into this. And this is exactly what he does. That's why, F.F. Bruce says, the most probable account of the omission of any Thanksgiving here is that Paul was impelled by a sense of overmastering urgency to come straight to the point. Now listen to this. There can be no Thanksgiving when you abandon grace. There is no Thanksgiving when one abandons grace. So they're turning away, and that's the problem. And to turn away really means to, to leave your loyalty, the, the loyalty you had with something, in this case, Jesus Christ, to leave that loyalty behind and to go follow something else. This is a really interesting term because it's a military term, and it was punishable by death because one switched side in an armed war. Do you see the consequences? Do you see why this gospel is not only sufficient, but it is enough to sustain us? Do you see why Paul is jumping right into this situation and saying, no, no, no? In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, after the author of Hebrews deals with the... uh, Supremacy of Jesus Christ in comparison to angelic beings in Hebrews chapter one. In verse two two, there's in chapter two, verse one, there's a very key verse in there that says this. Therefore, which is concluding my thought right now, therefore, you must pay closer attention to what you have heard unless you drift away from it. Now, in Galatians, they're quickly moving away from this gospel. In Hebrews, they're slowly drifting away from it. But you know what? The consequence is the same. It's abandonment of the one who saved us. And it doesn't matter the age... And that's why in the Gospel of Luke, and Pastor Dave's going to preach this, in chapter 9, verse 62, it says that the one who leans on him and puts his hand on the plow should not look back. And the reason is this, because if you look back, your plowing becomes crooked. You lean on him. You rely on him. And they needed to hear that again and again. Now let me give you three facts and you have in your notes three facts about this other gospel and I'm going to focus most of my time in this area because I think this is something that is a crucial moment in church history and we need to go back to this facts right here. Number one, you have in your notes it was an illegitimate gospel because there was another gospel. The Judaizers undermined the message and the messenger. But now, if we were to summarize what is the gospel, if you ask me what is the gospel, I will be able to give you an answer. But I wanna read to you how the apostle Paul defines the gospel when he writes to the church in Corinth. Okay, you don't have to turn there. First Corinthians chapter 15, one through four. Here's what he says. Now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preach to you, that you have received, and on which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I pass on to you, as of its first importance, what I also received. And here's what he received. That Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Now, the Judaizers had an unbiblical gospel, had an unsatisfying gospel, and the results would be very damaging to the church. But now, let 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 me just give you some things here. Here's what you need to know about the real gospel. Are you ready? The real gospel is offensive. People may not like you, and they will definitely not like the message. Hence, that's why Jesus ended up where he did. Now it is offensive, and it offends our pride, our wisdom, our knowledge, our ideas, our culture, our moral, and our principles. It confronts our personal experience, our beliefs, our motives, our intentions, our desires, our passions. It brings light into our mistakes, our errors, our sins, our darkness, into our doubts. It humiliates, confronts, corrects, rebukes. It tears down barriers. It establishes new foundations. It places you on a new path. It rescues you from the darkness into light. It nails your sins to the cross. It sets you free. It restores your soul. It justifies before the Father. It reconciles, redeems, and justifies. And it alters your trajectory. From enemies of the Most High to sons and daughter. That is your true gospel, and as one of the best theologians that I know would say, that should make your socks roll up and down. <laughs> now, if that is the gospel, then what the Galatian church was receiving after Paul left was not true. When I was a little boy, my dad, my my grandpa had a white horse. His name was Schimmel. I don't know what it was, it was probably a German name and I never asked the question. I just knew he was horse. He was a horse and he was white. But you know what? It was really interesting to, to watch him because he never drank water from a bucket other than the one that was his own. If we call ourselves believers in Jesus, then the only bucket we need to drink, be drinking water from is His Word. There is no other gospel. It will never satisfy you. That's why John chapter 4 happens. That's why the Samaritan woman is such a great encounter. It does not satisfy you. It might be for a little while, but it doesn't satisfy you spiritually and eternally. So it was an illegitimate gospel. Number two, it was a disturbing gospel. The the, the text says this, there are some who are disturbing you. Now, (laughs) to disturb is to cause a change of state with emphasis upon the difference in the resulting state, which means I wanna take you from this state where you have a relationship with Jesus and I'll put you in this state where you don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's not that I wanna sanctify you and keep you there and make you stronger, no, i want to move you from here to here. You need to be careful with that because you have all kinds of different Gospels out there and they're, they're knocking at your door every single day. If you're a teenager, you need to know that your hair product and your beauty products and the clothes you wear, even though that will make you look really good, does not create anything between you and Jesus. If if you're a mom, you need to understand that the voice out there that says, you don't have to take care of your kids now, go do something else, is not as valuable because God gave you that child as to be a parent. Obviously, that's not a salvation issue. That's just how we handle lives. For the husbands out there, you might like this one. You need to get a better job to get more money into your bank account. Who said that there was a prerequisite for you to getting sanctification? You might have the American dream, but you may not be on the dream that God has for you. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're a little bit older, you have grandkids now and you think, I'm just, I just, just wasting time. Who said that? What voice are you listening to? Doesn't the New Testament say that old women and older men are supposed to mentor and disciple? Do you know that 80% of our kids today have been on the faith by the time they go to college? What if you took the time to go with somebody and drink a cup of coffee? Do you know when I was 18 years old, do you know what the Lord used in my life to make me listen to the gospel? There was an older guy who was 53 years old. I'm, I'm going to be 41 now, so I'm not that far off. I was 18 at that time, and I was immature, so please forgive me if I think a 53 years old, years old is really old. <laughs> but you know what he, do, do, do you know what we did? Do you know what he did for me? I grew up without a father in my house, and he took me to McDonald's and bought me a dollar drink and a dollar fries, and we sat and we talked about the gospel. Do you realize that that's just simple? But if you follow something other than what jesus has for you you'll never get to the outcome that god has for you and wants from you it's a disturbing message and it is also just like martin luther said and i'm going to read this for you note the resourcefulness of the devil heretics do not advertise their heirs murderers adulterers Thieves disguise themselves, so the devil masquerades all these devices and activities. He puts on white to make himself look like an angel of light. Isn't that true? 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years has passed. CBF, listen to this. Nothing has changed. Number three, it was a distorting gospel because they wanted to distort the gospel of Christ. To distort simply means to cause an emotional distress. Now, some of you are very familiar with John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, Jesus actually hears the news about Lazarus. He comes back. He sees the situation. He knows Lazarus is in the tomb. And in John chapter 11, verse 33, here's what it says. When Jesus saw her weeping, he was intensely moved in spirit and greatly distressed. Same word, different context. Same word, different context. The gospel that they want to bring inside of this church or inside of any church apart from the gospel of Christ is distorting. Let me give you a personal example. In 2019, my family and I had the privilege to actually come back from Brazil to the U.S., so we went to see my in-laws in Virginia. And uh, uh, we were going out to eat one night, and and we ran into a group of guys who wanted to share the gospel. And honestly, I love when that happens. For different reasons. I love when that happens because, number one, the church doesn't do that enough. And that's not, I'm putting myself in here. I don't do that enough. But number one, number one, I don't do that enough, and the church doesn't do that. But number two, most times people don't get the gospel the right way. And unfortunately, that night, those guys did not get the gospel the right way. Two weeks past that moment, I went up to Washington, D.C., and I get approached by one individual who wanted to share the same gospel with me that those previous guys had done two weeks ago. And their gospel was simply this. He says that the, the primacy of their gospel is that there's four people in the Godhead. The fourth one is called Mother God. And they take that from Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 to 28 in Galatians chapter 5. Now, do you know what their main target is? Women. They go to college campuses, they see women on the street, and they go to them because now God is a woman. Because when God says, Let us create men and women, He could not create men and women if He was not a woman. Which I ask Him, so is He an elephant? Does He need to be a worm? Is He a tree? You see, just like what happened here. Look at, listen to this. The Judaizers used the same names, the same ideas. that were very familiar to the Galatian church. Just like those guys used the same ideas and concepts with me. And you know what? I had to walk out after 45 minutes because my daughter was there, and it was almost like there was almost a fight breaking in there because they wanted to argue their point over mine. And I'm like, I, I, I can't. The gospel you believe is condemning you to hell. My gospel has set me free, Galatians 5.1. So here's the deal. Distortion then becomes a tool in the hand of the enemy. He's been distorting things since the beginning, hasn't he? Now, i want to give you a mathematical formula right now, okay? For those of you who like math out there, it's very simple. It sounds like this. Christ plus nothing equals everything. Here's the other one. Christ plus something equals nothing. If we had to bring our magic eraser to give us salvation, then Jesus Christ coming to die was a waste of his time. Number two, Paul's going, going to give us a warning right now, and that's verse 8 and 9, and here's the preposition you have in your notes. God did, uh, Paul did not bring the false gospel to them. Galatians 1.8, even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one that we preached to you before, let him be condemned to hell. So... Just imagine I came to you and I said, hey, I bet you $10 million right now on the spot that the Detroit Pistons will win the NBA title this year. And you're gonna say, who are the Detroit Pistons? I know, I have to check this out. They're the worst team in the NBA right now. If you knew anything about basketball, you'd say, I am all in, 10 million, that's easy. But the thing is, you don't know that I'm not betting my own money. I'm betting somebody else's money. So when Paul says that even if we, he puts himself in in this situation, he says, I I got skin in the game because this message is not my message. So if I preach something contrary to the one that I received, I am the one who is going to be condemned to hell. So Paul does not bring this false gospel to them, but then he says that he's going to condemn them because of their actions and he announces the curse and re-emphasizes the seriousness of it to the point that he repeats that twice now in deuteronomy chapter 27 you don't have to turn there there's a a whole chapter of blessings and cursings and from verses 14 all the way down verse 26 pretty much every single verse starts with the, the, the the idea of curse is the one who and then moses describes what that looks like But how he ends that passage is amazing. In verse 26, it says this Cursed is the one who refuses to keep keep the words words of the law. Now, cursed is the one who has changed the word, cursed is the one who does not keep. Different context, and Paul is unifying those two thoughts that you have the gospel, now you're changing this. Cursed are you. This curse was a a serious judgment. Do you remember Genesis chapter 3 verse 6? It says this. It was good. It was attractive to the eye. It was desirable for making one wise. But do you remember the final outcome of that? It was complete separation. And that's why only the The true gospel and the sufficiency of scripture can handle you from this life and your sins into eternal condition. That no other gospel can do that for you. Number three, Paul's motivation. Um, When we have serious conversations and we have to confront somebody, it's always pretty good to tell them our motivation. And I think as a father, Paul is going to dictate this right now and say, hey, listen, my message is harsh. But I would much rather give this to you now than see you going to a place where you do not belong because Jesus has rescued you. So his motivation is to be a servant. Paul was not trying to gain the approval of people or not even trying to please them. Verse 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says that he wishes... Uh, to become all things to all people. And that sounds like he's a people pleaser. But what we need to see is that verse 20, 23 in that same passage says that he's doing all those things for the sake of the gospel. He's trying to be everything to all men so that all men and everything will come to the fruition. And that's why Colossians chapter 128 says that his desires to see everyone coming to full maturity. So he lays that out there. Timothy George, who is a commentator, says this, We might put, the, might put the question this way. What is the conti- constituency for our ministry? In a market-driven age, we we're are accustomed, we're accustomed to think that every church having a special niche, of every visitor as a special perspective customer, and every aspect of worship designed to satisfy the customers. Paul was reminding the Galatians that the gospel was not a byproduct or a product to be peddled on the marketplace of life, it has no need of shrewd sales, salesmen to make it more palatable to modern taste. The gospel has its own self-generating, dynamic authority and need not be propped up by artificial means, however, sophisticating or alluring. Paul's motivation was not to please them. Paul's true motivation is what he says at the end of this verse, was to become a bondservant or a slave to Jesus. To persuade people was Paul's intention. The content of his message was never changed. And it was very simple. It was the truth that God through Jesus Christ was in the business of reconciling the world to himself. Reconciling the world to himself, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He was called to serve and not to please people. The Puritan um, William Perkins says this, and he's mentioning this to ministers, but I want to make the point that this is not just for ministers. I believe this to be for every single one who calls himself a servant and a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. He that would be a faithful minister of the gospel must deny the pride of his heart and be emptied of ambition and set himself completely to seek the glory of God in his calling. And generally, he that would be a faithful servant of Christ must set God before him as a judge and consider that he has to deal with God and that he must turn his mind and senses from the world and all things therein into God and to seek him above all things to approve his thoughts, desires, affections, and all his doings unto him. That is you, and that is me. Now, let me close with this. Every time you mess with the message of Jesus Christ, you mess with God himself. And every time you mass with Christ or with the church, you mass with the bride of Christ. And I want to do neither. So here are some things for you to consider. Number one, service in the gospel is neither an option nor a part-time effort or a full-time, but a full-time commitment from our part towards our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Number two, this is a reminder, it's in your notes. While Many religions and other gods exist. There's only one truth. And only that truth can set you free. Number three, Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Don't move, your, don't move away from that refuge like the Galatian church was doing. And lastly, take your orders from this gospel of truth. And do not shape your life according to the footprint set by the word the world before you. Live righteously, honestly, humbly in the foundation that Jesus Christ has set for us. For He is not only good, He is sufficient. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time and for this day. Thank you that you are a sufficient God that you love us and you care for us, but you rebuke us and you correct us. Thank you that Paul's amazement was a negative one, that he was able to correct them and challenge them to go back to where they used to be. So Father, I thank you. I pray that this word from Galatians 1 will be true in our lives, that we will look up to you as our sufficient and only savior.